Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. When we look at today's chapter in the book of Jeremiah, in this last chapter, I can't help but think of it as a microcosm of that 400-year span uh, that they were in prior, uh, much prior to this time. Uh, So with that, why don't you open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 44. Jeremiah chapter 44. First, we'll read uh, just verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 1 says this, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Tapanus, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. We'll stop right there. It seems like a weird place to stop, but I'll explain in a minute. Uh, this shows us there was a gap in time between chapters 43 and 44. In chapter 43, what happened? They got to Tapanus, and they just kind of sat there and waited. Um, and then they got the prophecy of what was going on. And uh, But now they've spread out all over the place. Migdal, Memphis, uh, these places are all over the map when it comes to Egypt. So, so there's been at least a year in time between 43 and 44, if not more, uh, probably, probably significantly more. It, it could be up to a decade in time uh, just in that, in that little, little bit of a gap there. Um, so in verses 2 through 6, God is reminding them why he kicked them out of Judah and made the land a desolate place. In fact, when he talks to them, he's kind of giving them an update. Hey, since you guys have left, the land has been absolutely deserted. No one's doing anything there. It's, it's dead. But the reason I kicked you guys out in the first place was because of idolatry. All your kings, everybody that that lived in that land, you guys just constantly worshipped other gods. You never followed me. You 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 just your heart wasn't after me, and so I kicked you out. I, I I let you go, and so God asked the Judeans in Egypt a very poignant question in verse seven. Skip down to verse seven with me. After he's explained everything that's happened in Judah, he says in verse seven, "And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel." Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers." God comes on, he says, they witnessed all the destruction. You saw all the destruction. You saw everything that happened. I just reminded you that I kicked you out of there because of all the idolatry. And now you get into Egypt and you start going into idolatry again. You start worshiping these other gods, start going after this stuff instead of sticking to me. Why have you gone back to this? Why are you doing this again? Now understand, friends, 
We believe in an omniscient God, which means he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, which is all-powerful, and he's, he's everywhere. He's, he's ever-present, omnipresence. So, so when God asks this question, he's not asking for a response from them, like, I wonder why you guys are doing this. I'm not so smart of a God. I mean, that is not what God is doing. What he's doing is he's almost daring the people. I tell you what, why don't you verbalize the stupid thoughts that are in your head right now. <laughs> That's what I want you to do. I want you to understand how dumb you are right at this moment. This is this is painful to watch you guys do the things that you do when when you know that everything that's happened prior to this, all the destruction, all the pain, all the horribleness that's happened is because of this same exact sin you committed back in Judah. I I he, he I mean God gets it, but he's asking why why? Think about it yourself. Come, come to grips with your own thinking. Come to grips with your own thoughts. So he, he, he talks about this. He's forcing them to think about what they're doing. The problem, though, is they've already disobeyed in going to Egypt, and they're now simply pouring salt on that open wound with their idolatry. So he tells them of their punishment. He goes deep into their punishment in verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm, to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah, who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall be consumed in the land of Egypt. They shall fall. By the sword and by famine, they shall, uh, they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. Verse 13, I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except some fugitives. So in short, except for a couple of fugitives, most of them are going to die in Egypt, never to see the promised land again. You're never going to go back there. It's never never going to happen. And I mean, he even says, some of you think that you're going to go back. And there's good reason to think that they were going to go back. Jeremiah in three different chapters, Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah 33, proclaims to all the people, listen, this is going to be terrible. You're going to go into exile, but... I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to reestablish you. And, and all these good things are going to happen as you come back. There's a, there's a huge caveat there, though. Those people that were going to be able to come back had to have gone to Babylon. That was the one catch there. If you go to Babylon, that's the promise you get. If you decide to go to Egypt, that is not the promise you get. This is not how that works. You needed to go to Babylon or you needed to stay in Judah like I told you to before you went down to Egypt. Instead, you came down to Egypt and now you've gotten yourself into all this idolatry. You continue to fall away from me, so you're it. It's, it's done. I've cut you off. You ain't coming back to the promised land. You're never going to see this place ever, 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 ever. It's done. So this gets their attention, and a whole bunch of them get together and give Jeremiah a piece of their mind, and they start verbalizing the stupid things that they're thinking. Look at verse 15. 
Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed. Make offerings to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did. Both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by sword and by famine. We are the dumbest people known to man. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what they said. (laughs) But it really, I mean, right? That's you, you, we're, you're not understanding how this works. You know, their, their thought was, you know, we were, we were still flourishing in the land when we were doing all this stuff to this queen of heaven, uh, which was a, a Babylonian God technically. Um, but, um, we followed them. We'd make these little cakes with these little impressions on it. I mean, it was really goofy looking and stuff. And and they would they'd cook them and they'd eat them and it was all great, blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, we 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 were doing really good when that happened. And what they're not understanding is 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 that they're they're they pushed God to the end of his patience. Listen, friends, when we sin, we mess up, we do things that are wrong, and, and nothing seems to happen. Like, we don't, we don't die, of course. We don't, we don't have these other situations happening in our lives that we think, oh, well, God isn't punishing me. I must be good to go. Listen, that's not the case. You're just testing God's patience. And at some point, you are going to fail at that test. If we continue to live in a life of sin, that patience is going to end. And that's what we're seeing here with these Judeans. As, as the men come up and they speak and they say, listen, we, we were doing so well. That's, that's why we're going back to this. We're going back to this because it was so great. No, you were trying the patience of God. Now, some people will sit and think, but Pastor Dave, God is so gracious. God is so merciful. Yes, he's very gracious. He's very merciful. To those things, there are no end. Patience, though, that's a different word. And that's a different concept. It's one thing to go into sin, to sin, and then say, God, forgive me. I, I'm sorry. I, I should not have done that. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me right. Make me whole. Boom. That's when the grace and the mercy of God kicks in. But if you sin and you're like, oh, I got away with that. And then you just continue on with life, never acknowledging it, truly acknowledging it, never bringing it before Christ, never bringing it before God and saying, man, I... I all you're doing is testing the patience of God. And at some point, it's, it's going to end. And if you don't think that's the case and you think, well, we're in the Old Testament, Pastor Dave. God is all full of grace and all this stuff. He, he, he has limitless patience. Listen, Romans chapter 1, you can go back and read it for yourself one of these days. It is very specific there. Listen, you want to keep worshiping the creature instead of the, cre- uh, the, the creator? Fine. I will, I will hand you over to your own lustful desires. And he talks about that. And he's like, you will pay your due penalty right here on earth. 
But even before you step to the other side of eternity, you're going to start paying your penalty right here if you want to keep following your sinful ways. Romans chapter 1, go ahead and read it one of these days if you'd like to, but that's what he's talking about here. There is an aspect to where that patience is going to run out, and Jeremiah is going to explain this in a minute to the people, but before he explains this, the women decide to chime in. He's like, listen, you want to talk about the wives? Well, then fine. We get to have our day in court too. We're going to talk about this too, so look at verse 19. Verse 19. And the women said, when we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? What was that? That was a very different way of saying, listen, we were only doing what we were told by our husbands to do, which you in the first place told us to submit to our husbands. So we're just following what they said. Remember Adam and Eve? And what did Adam say when he ate the apple? She made me do it. It was her fault. These women are like, listen, if it worked for Adam, it can work for us. We didn't do it. It's their fault. They're, they're the ones that, that, that did this. They're the ones that, that they told us to do it, and we're supposed to submit to them, and so we submitted to them. This isn't our fault. Why don't you start looking at those guys and start striking them with lightning and stuff? We should be able to go back to Judah because this, no, that's not how it works. That has never, that's never, ever, 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 how it's ever worked with God when it comes to sin. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and I'm sure this is not the last time. No matter what authority God has put over you, you obey that authority in everything except sinful actions except sinful actions. We've had to talk to teenagers about it, and that's always a really tough one. Listen, you listen to mom and dad. You follow your parents. You follow what they say. Obey, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We always forget that in the Lord part. Obey your parents in the Lord. What that means is you obey them up to the point where if they're like, hey, I want you to go murder our neighbor because I'm really annoyed with them. You, of course, do not obey your parents in that. That, of course, is a very extreme example, but, but that's what God is talking about here. Listen, you don't get to blame the authority that's over you for telling you to do something that is blatantly sinful and saying, was it my fault? That's, God, does never, God never allows that excuse for us to sin. That person you put in charge, they told me to do it. it. It doesn't work that way. We are all responsible for our own sinful actions. They made me, no. Even if they did make you do it. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories of people who have either been miraculously rescued because a gun was pointed to their head, or they died. I don't think any of us has been in that situation, but I would hope that if we were ever in that situation, we'd be able to stand and say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you, even unto death. Help me, Lord, to be that strong. Help me to be that strong. So, so they come out, and they're all ticked off, and the men come out and talk. The women come out and talk. They're like, this isn't fair, blah, 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 blah. As I said, Jeremiah tells them with a few more words that the nation was simply testing God's patience with their idolatry back in Judah, and the patience has ran out. Look at verse 20. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him an answer, as for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials, 
angels and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. Uh, it is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes, in his testimonies, that his disaster, uh, that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Like he said, did it not come into the mind of the Lord? The Lord could no longer bear your evil. My patience was done. I was done with that, and I, I'm not even giving you guys that much time as you're sitting here in Egypt. I, I, God's pretty much saying, I can't do it anymore. Jeremiah continues on in verse 25. Uh, he states that the people have confirmed uh, their declaration of idolatry with the words of their mouth and the work of their hands. Uh, and then he reiterates the punishment of death in Egypt with no possible return to Judah through uh, all the way through verse eight or verse 28. And then he's kind enough to give them a sign. He's like, this is going to happen. I, I, this, once you see this happen, you're guaranteed that you're never going back to Judah. Look at verse 20. Verse 29 of 44 says this, This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. Now, it's not recorded in the Word of God. It's not recorded in the Bible, but it is recorded in, in, uh, uh, in history that in 570 B.C., Pharaoh Hophra was overthrown by one of his own officers, a guy named Amasis. Um, and so when Amasis gets all ticked off at Hophra and says, listen, I'm taking, I'm taking over here. As soon as that happened, as soon as there was that change of power and, and Hofra was overthrown, it, it's kind of weird. Um, it was more of like a co-regency, but everybody knew Amasis was really in charge. And so once that happened, the Judeans that were living there should have known, we're stuck here. It's done. The Lord told us this was going to happen. Great. And it was done. It was sealed at that point in 570 B.C. Even though it wasn't recorded in the Word of God, it was recorded in history. Later on, it's Amasis that comes against Nebuchadnezzar, that takes Nebuchadnezzar off uh, two years later. And uh, the prophecy in uh, I, or Jeremiah 43, in which uh, God said Nebuchadnezzar would bring his throne down to, uh, down to Egypt and, and whoop up on stuff and destroy a bunch of temples and stuff. That's what happens in 568 B.C. because Amasis decides to get all... Goofy and, and ticks off Nebuchadnezzar. So everything, everything is set. Everything that the Lord said he would do happens. And it's all because they decided to go back to Egypt and continue in their idolatrous ways. So as the message was titled today, what is your Egypt? What is your Egypt? What is the person, the place, the thing, the ideology that you go to that you know you shouldn't because you know it pulls you into idolatry and slavery to sin? Listen, friends, the Bible talks so much about this, especially in the Old Testament. We don't see it as much in the New Testament. Listen, in, in uh, chapter 46 of Jeremiah is the beginning of the the judgment of the nations. And Egypt is the first on the list. And within that, uh, 
I don't know, within that writing, within that prophecy, God pretty much is like, listen, Egypt, you're done. You're not going to be the world power you were. It's over. And, well, they've never been a world power again, right? I mean, since... I mean, technically, kind of since before this time, right before Nebuchadnezzar, they have not been. You're not like, oh, man, I hope Egypt doesn't rise up and start causing havoc. It, they just never became that. Egypt was, Egypt just goes away. And, and I, I just, I believe as, as you look at this, as you see Egypt so much in the Old Testament, but that's why, I'm, uh, that's what I was doing. I was explaining why you don't see it as much in the New Testament. Anyways. <laughs> The whole aspect of Egypt being talked about so much and Israelites not going back there is because I really do believe that every single human being has an Egypt. There's an Egypt out there. There's a place where God tells you, listen, don't go to this place. Don't go back here. You were a sinner in this way. You need to stop that and don't, don't just stay away from that. Get away from that place in your life. Get away from that person. Get away from that uh, ideology. Get away from that thinking. You, you need to get out. Now, listen, friends, I want you to think about that. What are your, what are your Egypts? I, I believe everyone has at least one, and it's important that you all know what those are because, listen, and friends, Satan knows what they are, and he's going to use those Egypts to pull you away from God. The enemy knows your Egypts. The enemy knows the places, the people, the things that God has said, listen, you're done there. Don't go back there. Satan knows those things, and he's going to throw those at your face whenever he can. He's going to say, why don't you come on back? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? It looks beautiful. I mean, Egypt, I mean, that's a pretty cool picture of Egypt, isn't it? That's, that's pretty sharp. I mean, have you seen the pyramids? Pyramids are cool. I mean, look at the Sphinx. I mean, you've never built anything like that. You should go check that out. And, and that's what Satan's doing. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this so cool looking? You should come back. Check it out. It's changed a little bit since you left. You might like it even better. That's what Satan's doing, and he's trying to draw you back to those Egypts. Get them in your head. Understand what they are. Write them down if you need to on a piece of paper. Put them in your phone, whatever it is. Remember what they are. If you're still unsure of what your Egypts may be, just a, a real simple example would be an alcoholic, you know, an alcoholic's Egypt would be any person, place, or thing that gets that person back to alcohol. You know, I was an alcoholic. I can't go to the bars anymore. I can't hang out with this group of people anymore. I can't. I got to stay out of the alcohol section at the grocery store, whatever it is. The, the drug addict, the same kind of thing. The, the, the person that's addicted to sex, whatever it is, I got to stay off the Internet. I got to get the computers out of my house. I, I, maybe I should just be using a flip phone. Maybe I shouldn't even have a cell phone, whatever it is. You know, I, 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 I need to do whatever it is to get those Egypts out of, out of my head. I, I, I got to understand what those are. So, so figure Figure out what the Egypts are and get them in your head. Now, now that you've got those, hopefully you have, hopefully you've been thinking about them. I'll give you another second if you want me to. <laughs> now that you've got them, now what do we do? How do we stay out of Egypt? Well, first, just don't go. <laughs> don't go to Egypt. Man, Pastor Dave, that, that is mind-blowing advice. That's amazing, right? Right? That's, this is what I went to school for. I mean, to give you this hard knowledge, isn't it amazing? Anyways, 
you know, physically, this is easy, right? You don't buy tickets. <laughs> I'm not going to go to Egypt. I'm not going to buy the tickets. We're good to go. But, but it, it, it has to go deeper than that. You have to, you can't be daydreaming about stuff. You can't be thinking about, man, it, it really was so much better than there. Man, it, it, it did look so much better. You know, back when I used to do those kinds of things, man, it was so much better. And you start sounding like the Judeans that are talking to God and saying, what? It was so much better. I had everything I needed. I was so much more comfortable. Because Satan has a really good way of letting you know all the good times that you had and totally getting you to forget of all the terrible, horrible times that you had at at the same period of time. I forgot all about that stuff and waking up in the morning wondering what in the world I had just done or, or, you know, all these different things. I was in such a life of torment. I was in such, such despair, but, but there were a couple of times when it was pretty good. Friends, you, you, you got to get away from it. You just don't go there. Don't daydream about it. Don't think about all the supposed good times you had when, when you were there. Stay out of Egypt. Psalms chapter 63, verse six David specifically says, you know, when I lay down the rest, I think about you, God. During the midnight watch, you know, he's king, so he's got guards around his palace. During those midnight watches, I think about you. I I put my mind on you. A lot of you understand that. Because a lot of us, what happens when, when our bed hits the pillow? It's not sleepy time. It's now time to remember of all the crummy things that happened during the day, right? I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. All these different things. I would really like to do this again. I would really like to do that again as you're sitting there in bed and maybe the TV is on and it's trying to drown out the noise, but it is doing an absolutely horrible job because you watch something, it reminds you of something. It's like, oh yeah, I wish I was doing that again. And you just go and go and go. You got to follow David's advice. When I go to bed, I meditate on you. I think about you, Lord. I think about your goodness. I think about the things that you pulled me out of. I think about the fact that through the course of the day, I, was, I, I didn't think about these things that worried me so much. And I start thinking, Lord, you were there during the day. Now you're going to be here during my night. Help me to get some sleep. May I concentrate on you. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I slept over at my grandparents' house, um, when I was a kid, we didn't do it a lot, but grandma and grandpa, none and papa is what we call them, uh, they, they'd come in and, and they'd, they'd say a prayer. You know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. <laughs> Great. That's a wonderful prayer for a kid. But that's what they prayed with us every night before we went to bed. I, I just nodding your head. How many of you knew that prayer? I don't know where they got it from. It must be a Lutheran thing or something. What's that? It's from, right, right. It just, well, I, I hope I live tonight. <laughs> I guess you're really going to test David's thoughts on, I'm going to meditate on you, but man, I'm only, I'm only six, God. I, I, I thought I had a whole life in front of me. Maybe I don't. But, no, it's, but they would sit down, they would pray, you know, Lord, help me to concentrate on you before I go to bed. Say that prayer before you go to bed. Lay down and say, Lord, thank you for the day you gave me, even if it was kind of rough. I know I messed this up, God, but I know you can forgive me. I know you can help me. And don't get me wrong, there's going to be times when the Lord just might wake you and make you pray for people, make you pray for situations. Um, But but you're still concentrating on God. And that's, that's the key. That's so much of the key. 
don't go to Egypt. Don't daydream about it. But but we all know it's not that simple, right? We, we talk about this, and, oh, that's so easy. So another thing we need to do is we need, <clears throat> excuse me, we need, we, we, uh, we need to do more than simply make a commitment to not go. We need to get some accountability. And friends, I'm talking about serious accountability. I'm talking about getting an accountability partner that if you were to be truthful to that person and admit that you headed back to your Egypt, it would at least put a strain on the relationship and maybe even cause some pain. If there isn't the possibility of some pain or loss or strain when confessing our sin, listen, friends, you're not talking to an accountability partner. You're just talking to another person. When you look at the situations and you're like, I'm going to confess this to this person, ooh, and it, your palms get sweaty, the heart starts to kind of race, I really don't want to talk about this. That's your accountability partner. That's who you need to be talking to. That's, those are the people that you need to be talking to. Where can you find these people? Well, to be brutally honest with you, if you get involved in church and, and, and you, you really come together and you establish some relationships, this is a good place to start. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here. Listen, friends, I love when you guys come. I can't wait for October 9th because I love eating all the food that you make, unless it has broccoli or cauliflower in it, hint, hint. But I, I my bad. Anyways, um, well, you're going to get healthy, Pastor Dave, one way or the other. Anyways, um, I love that stuff. It's great. I love the fellowship. I love the times when we get to get together and, and eat food and chat and, and all that stuff. I love the, you know, the, the Christmas stuff that's coming up. All that stuff is a lot of fun. But that's not the only reason we gather together. We gather together to help one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. Hopefully, you guys are building relationships with each other. I mean, don't get me wrong. As your pastor, I've got a whole lot of accountability folks here. Because if I do something, that's going to put a strain. You know, I, I do something sinful that's, that's really poor. I've, I've got three board members. I've got all of you guys, let alone what I'm about to talk about in a second here. But, I mean, that's, that's a lot of relationships where it's like, man, I could put a real strain there. I could put a lot of pain into people's lives. I'm telling you right now, friends, that's a real wake-up call for me in understanding what are my Egypts. I need to stay away from those. And like I just stated, there is one accountability partner sometimes that I think that, that, that we, we ignore. And it's, it's, it, it's quite possibly the most significant, most important. And if you have one, I would, I would challenge you to make them your accountability partner. And that is your spouse. That is your spouse. Listen to what Matt Jacobson says. Uh, Stevie got me this book uh, back at Christmas time. It's called 100 Ways to, to Love Your Wife. And I read through it, and it's really good. But this particular... You don't have one, too. Yes, right. I was going to say, that's fine. I said I got it from, what? I don't know what I said wrong. <laughs> what in the world? We'll talk about this when we get home. All right. <laughs> right. 101 way. All right. You guys don't have that part in your book when, when you're preaching and 
anyways. He says, number 18 of the 100 ways, he says, make her your accountability partner. Listen to what he says here. What could be easier than telling your guy friends all the ways you failed when there's no possibility of rejection and they fall in all the same ways you have? Real accountability is about not going there, not about the fellowship of failure. Allow no shadows in your relationship. Live honesty, honestly and tell her everything. There may be some pain at first, but if you are humbled and broken, it will make you stronger. If you've committed, uh, to, uh, if you've committed to face your wife with honesty and openness, suddenly being accountable has meaning and the path of shame and destruction doesn't look so good anymore. Matt Jacobson is the guy's name. Make sure I quote that right. But, I mean, think about it. And, you know, I've, I've heard about I, I have been. I've been in guys' groups. And uh, Ray led a great one uh, this uh, this last year, you know, from December into uh, this last May. Um, it was it was, it was was great, and it was good. And, you know, I, I feel I have those kind of relationships with a lot of these guys. Um, but I've, I've been in those other situations where I'm with a group of guys, and we kind of know each other. Hey, it was, it was fun. I, I like drinking root beer with you. That's, that's awesome. Um, but I know, did you look at pornography today? Yeah, I looked at pornography today. I mean, I, that's a bummer. We'll pray for you about that. It's a lot different when you sit down with your wife and say, hey, you know, I was looking at pornography today. Whoa. <laughs> um, that's, that's not going to go, oh, well, I'll just pray for you then. <laughs> and that's, that gets a lot deeper then all of a sudden. And I know it's, it's hard, and, and I've heard it before, you know, well, they, they just don't understand who I am. They, they can't help me with this and, and all this. And I know I'm coming more from the guy's side because, well, I am a guy. But listen, make the relationship work then. Make the relationship work. Help the spouse to understand where you're coming from. I mean, yes, a majority of you all know that communication is Typically poor on the guy's side. I'm not, I'm not good at it. I can't talk to her about this. Make it happen. She'll listen to you. Now, on the flip side, if, if you love your spouse and you want the best for your spouse, yes, there's pain. Yes, there's anger. Yes, there's frustration. If they were to confess something to you, that's like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe that's happening. But I, I personally believe, you know, we just did a wedding yesterday. And the wedding ceremonies that we come, you know, I, I like to say the line, you know, marriages should not be treated flippantly. If you're committing to each other, there should be that strong of a commitment to say, I love you so much. I definitely don't want you to stay in this area because it's wrecking our marriage. I want to make this marriage work and I want that to happen. I hope that's the case for most people. I, I can't guarantee it. And, and yes, Jesus said it. You know, if they commit adultery, that is a quote-unquote way out of marriage. That's pretty much the only way out. I mean, you can talk about abandonment and stuff, and we can discuss that some other point if you'd love to, but let's not. Anyways, but when it comes to that commitment, when it comes to marriage, and it comes to that accountability partner to say, you know what, I love you too much to have you stay here stuck in that sin, and then, and then try to make it happen. I know it can't always work. I get it. I know a lot of those stories. I know it, it's, it's tough when 
something devastating like pornography or or even some other addictions like alcohol and, and stuff like that it can it, it can really wreck those things but one of the greatest points of accountability is spouse to spouse and and i understand it's hard it's difficult but make it work make it happen if they love you they should be doing what it takes to get you the help you need to make the relationship work. So we don't go to Egypt. We stay away from it. Stop daydreaming about it. Get yourself some serious accountability partners. Get some people in your life where you're establishing relationships that if, man, if, if I do mess this up, there's going to be a strain there. There's, there's going to be some pain there. Um, and, and so a, a lot of that kind of would, would kind of fall on the spouse, maybe even, you know, a parent, those kinds of things. Make, make, those, make those deep relationships that you have that accountability last friends let's let's kind of end on a high note here know who you are in christ if god is for us who can be against us we have not been given a spirit of fear but of power love and self-control when we are tempted god will make a way out you friends when you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior all of these things come with it all of it Listen, when, when you come down and you confess, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, save me. Send your son's blood, wash over me. As soon as that happens, all of those things, floomp, come to you. It's, it's, it's like a menu. It's like you sit down at a restaurant, you open the menu. What are we serving? We're serving forgiveness. That's all we give you. Okay, forgive me. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're just kidding. Look at all this great stuff we get when you decide to order forgiveness. You, you have power, you have hope, you have peace, you have life. Know who you are in Christ. As we've said in the past, especially when it comes to the Israelites, learn from their evil ways. Learn from their evil ways. We, we, you know, the Lord, the Lord did not get rid of the Old Testament for a reason. It's still around so that we can see and understand, man, those guys really messed up. I've really messed up. I need to learn what happened with those guys and learn how God works and learn how God lives with us and, and, and makes things happen. We can avoid going to Egypt. The Israelites doubted God's ability and who they were in him and ignored their accountability partner. Who was their accountability partner? It was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was their accountability partner, and they ignored what he had to say. Know your Egypt. Stop daydreaming about how good you think they are. Get some serious accountability and live in the power of the Spirit that has been given to you. Because once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit comes upon you. And then as you continue to build that relationship and you continue to seek God, you can get more and more of that Spirit, and you can get more and more of that strength, more and more of that power. But you have, to, you have to let go of Egypt. What's your Egypt? Get away from them and say, God, I'm going after you. I'm going after you. Why don't you stand with me today? Close this up. What are your Egypts? As we're praying today, I want you to say your Egypts to God. You don't have to do it out loud. Say, here it is, Lord. It's the bar. It's this person. It's this relationship. It's this ideology. 
I, I mean, if you want to yell communism, that's perfectly fine. I don't know how many of you have been taken out of communism, but, you know, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. But, Lord, these are my Egypts. I know what they are. And now start living as we were talking about. Help me, Lord, to concentrate on you. Help me to follow after you. Help me to stay accountable to the various relationships in my life of other spirit-led people. And by golly, know that you have the power of God. Not just in the palm of your hand, friends. Your entire being. Your entire being. 